Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel McCarthy, and I thank you for joining us. And I'm excited this week because making his return to the studio, it's Julian Lawrence. And down the line from a special location somewhere in West London, just, what, a quarter mile from Matthew Side's house, it's Matt Dickinson. Hello. Later on, we're going to be talking about the ugly scenes at the London Stadium that marred West Ham's defeat to Burnley. But we start at the Theatre of Dreams with one of the biggest fixtures in European football. Right, Dicko, I'm going to start with you um, because if you were to look at this game in a vacuum, it would be all about one of the mo- two of the most criticized players, I think, uh, this year, Romelu Lukaku and Dejan Lovren. Lovren criticized because supposedly he's He's a bit wussy and he can't defend. And Lukaku being criticized for not scoring enough and being just too much of a front-to-goal striker. And on this occasion, Lukaku was big and physical and 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 won the headers. And Lovren was uh, was monstered. Absolutely, and it's one, it's one of those things where you sort of it, you see it and you see the Lukaku do it, and you think. Um, why isn't he doing this all the time? I mean, there are games when we've all seen, you know, and notoriously some big games where he just seems to have sort of drifted through and you thought, hang on a minute, this, you know, this guy's a, um, you know, got so many attributes, even if he's not playing great or not finishing great, surely he can sort of make himself involved and the game seems to have drifted him by. But this this was the opposite. And um, the surprise, I guess, was that having been done once for it, Liverpool got done again by um, almost almost exactly the same. I mean, I, I do think, I'm sure we'll get on to Lovren, but I think to single him out is, well, on the one hand, understandable, given he was directly against him. On the other, um, it isn't just an isolated problem. I mean, there should be people covering, you know, if you, if you can see that the goalie's going to punt it long, they're going for the flick, someone needs to be covering behind. Someone needs to be working out a strategy for uh, for the inevitable when you've got a player as fast as Rashford who's going for the flick on. So, Lovren, Lovren has a tough time, but you know, why wasn't Van Dijk maybe taking over that responsibility? Why weren't others uh, sweeping up behind? Why wasn't someone maybe trying to screen in front of, of Lukaku? I, yeah, I, I kind of want to I want to touch upon that, uh, Julian, because many, many years ago, young listeners, teams played with with a sweeper. Um, and you, you often had a guy who could actually play on the ball and pass, and sometimes he was fast, but would read the game well, and he would drop off and the two center halves, and you would let the bigger, stronger center half pick up uh, the bigger, stronger target man on the other team. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Uh, and maybe they would have beaten you in a different way, and I realize if you play a high line and you want to do the offside, it's difficult to move the guys around, and Lukaku doesn't stand still. 
But would that have been an option here? I mean, is this something Klopp maybe might want to look at? It's weird that you don't react to it. Because once the first goal goes in and it's been working for them, you know that they're going to do it again. And you still don't adapt to it. And you still let Lovren 1v1 with Lukaku in the air. Where he gets beaten every time. You don't have the protection from Chan. You don't have Van Dijk switching with Lovren maybe. Or Van Dijk sweeping behind Lovren. You still don't have your fullbacks ready on their toes on the right side of the wide players. And you wonder like, why haven't they tried to, to correct it? And then they get the second goal in a very similar way. And you're thinking like, well, once you get punished and yet you don't do anything about it and then you get punished a second time. And it's really weird. I would have switched Van Dijk and Lovren straight, straight away after that first goal. But when you say switched, what do you, I mean, what, what do you mean? Just tell us. Just on the on, on a goal kick from, from De Gea, knowing he's going to be long on Lukaku and Lukaku on purpose targeting Lovren because that was clearly the game plan. The game plan was if they had, right. if, if they had wanted Lukaku on Van Dijk, De Gea would have kicked the ball on his on the six-yard kick towards Lukaku who had been on, on Van Dijk. So they clearly targeted Lovren because they knew Lukaku would bully him and, and monster him, as you put it, in the, uh, in the script. So just for that, switch them and it's, you know, it would have been different. Uh, Dicko, a lot of people have given Jose Mourinho a uh, stick this year and United when you watch them play, like like many different teams. It's kind of look pretty pedestrian and ordinary compared to Manchester City and maybe it's his fault, maybe it's not his fault, but should we be giving him some credit here for for tactically getting this right? And I'm not just talking about the, the long balls to, uh, to Lovren, but also the way, especially in the first half, how I thought they were really effective at, at breaking Liverpool's press. No, they, they, they looked what a Mourinho team you know, has done most of his career, which is everyone knew exactly what their jobs were. I mean, you know, it does bring in the whole fascination of the Pogba situation, doesn't it? Because, I mean, this was a more classic Mourinho team with two sort of recognised physical holding players. Um, and obviously we've had this big debate over the last few months about how Pogba fits in, where he fits in, does he need to play wide in a three? This was back to a, say, a more sort of classic, I thought, Mourinho setup, and um, the United looked better for that, which 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 makes the Pogba debate in some ways even more fascinating. Helps when you, you know, for any manager, you suddenly throw Rashford back in. You know, I, I think as an English uh, fan in World Cup year, um, who wasn't delighted to see that. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of us have felt frustrated that Rashford hasn't been getting games and slightly scratched our heads why. Maybe Mourinho, you know, just felt it had gone off the boil, felt he needed a, a break. But, um, you know, having seen that, you, you assume now that he's going to get a proper run. When a manager rests a guy and brings him back in and he hits that sort of confidence and form, then, um, yeah, he's, he's going to say, look, I knew what I was doing all along. And it, and it fitted... It perfectly fitted, as I say, a, a sort of what felt like a Mourinho team that knew its jobs. And that's always the thing you've associated with Mourinho. Players go out and know exactly what the plan is, what they're trying to do. And that certainly seemed to sort of go awry for, for, for quite a while. Uh, Julian, this question is Pogba-related and Sanchez-related. Um, I thought he was operating in a, in a more central position. And I thought he did fine at that because he was he was busy, he was doing his defensive work. He didn't maybe get as many chances to break forward as you might have in a different game, but that's understandable because it's Liverpool and whatever. The problem is, is if you put Alexis there, because Mourinho's told us many, many times that Pogba's an eight and he's on the left of a three, 
and the numbers don't quite add up because if I play Alexis behind the striker and then I have three midfielders, then what? I only have one guy on either side and I can't play with, even Mourinho can't play with 12 players. What how, is, is there a broader message to this? And do you have any insight on, on the Pogba thing? Because obviously, again, he's out. And then there was that thing we saw match of the day where, where Mourinho's giving an interview and Pogba comes up and, like, you know, high fives him or whatever it was, you know, and they're all bros again. What What's the deal? The deal is he got a knock. Uh, McTominay, I think, actually sort of injured him. It's not a bad injury, but it was enough. It was bad enough for him not being really 100% fit and playing. And I think... Having played before this season in the league, not being 100% fit and got a lot of stick for it. You need him for Seville. Yeah, and you need him from Seville. And I think he might play in a two against Seville with with Matic. That's the option. I think maybe... Wait, but I thought we said you can't do that. You can't do that. But if you decide (laughs) to play in a 4-2-3-1 formation and you want to play him, that's that's the only position he can play if you play Sanchez behind the striker. I still think Pogba can do a good job behind Lukaku. And having that sort of free role in the mid in the midfield, if you want, with Matic and McTominay behind him, for example, or something, but that would mean Sanchez playing wide, either right or left. It's it's interesting. I we see what he does in midweek because I think that's just obviously a huge game, and even next weekend in the FA Cup, it's a huge game as well against Brighton. Dico, as far as Klopp is concerned, there was all this goodwill. They're the best team to watch. Blah blah blah. They'll finish second. It felt like they were all on a rise. And is this kind of deflating and maybe it shouldn't be deflating because I mean losing at Old Trafford is not that big a deal is it uh, it's not huge but as you say it just it stalls momentum that was that was properly gathering you know they're, they're advancing on uh, uh, in Europe as well and everything you know I think Liverpool fans thought they'd turned a significant corner yeah they, they yet might I mean they, they, they're still on course to finish top four who knows how far they can go um, in the Champions League uh, you know they're I guess one by one with you know, Van Dijk um, will you know settle in and get and get better. The defence should uh, keep improving. I think obviously the goalkeeper issue is one still to uh, to get on top of. I'm not sure Carrius was sort of directly to blame for the second goal, but I sort of seem to be sort of lurching left and right and a, a bit all over the place. I still think you know there's clearly um, issues with that, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's I mean, it's, it's hardly a shock, is it? Losing the, uh, away at Old Trafford, you know, against the United team that hit their hit their stride. But it's um, you know, I, I think one minute they're talking about second. I think now, if you could, you know, if you could take top four, they would just they would just you know take it. I mean, they may yet come third, but I think they're um, they're in a decent place. You know, it's just the fact that they're not going to get the, the second place that um, I guess for a week or two they suddenly fancied. Well, it's not a fact they won't get it. We still have games to play, right? I mean, well, negative Nelly there, United right? United look like, you know, it, it would be, uh, it would, I would say it would be a pleasant surprise for them, wouldn't it? Um, I want to touch upon something else, and I will reveal my bias here. I know Jamie Carragher, and I really like Jamie Carragher. Uh, so I've got my bias out there. I'm already biased here, just so you know. Um, there was an incident afterwards which... Uh, it's got a lot of play on social media. There's a video in a, in a tabloid newspaper. Um, apparently, Jamie Carragher was, was, I guess, driving home after the game. And he's on the motorway. And there's a car with a father and a son. Um, sorry, a father and a daughter, actually. A uh, 14-year-old daughter. And according to Carragher, um, sort of three or four times along the motorway, they, they drive close to him, and, and they're making gestures at him. And I suppose they're... I guess they're shouting out the window at him because they know it's Jamie Carragher and they're United fans and they're winding him up. At some point, 
Carrier comes to a stop. The car pulls up alongside him. They roll down the window, and, you know, they're saying, uh, I guess they're, they're still, you know, bantering um, about the 2-1. And Carrier spits out of his uh, out of his window. Now, the 14-year-old girl is in is in the seat by the open window and the spit lands on her and according to the story in the mirror she becomes very very upset um Carragher has apologized profusely he says there's no excuses um uh he says he was totally out of order blah 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 vinnie jones helpfully was on talk sport saying that Carragher should be sacked and i think we all agree that you shouldn't be spitting at other people um but I wonder, do you guys have any insight on how often this happens when you're, you know, a, a celebrity or a famous person associated with a team? Yeah, I've seen it all the time. I've, you know, did Gary Neville's column for long enough and ghosted his book and, and sort of hung around with him enough public places to see that it can be blinking or not. You know, you can get pestered all the time, and that's pestered is the, is the light version of it. It can get a, a lot worse than that if you end up in, in the wrong bar at the wrong time. But that... This wasn't the, a bar. This wasn't being monstered. This wasn't the Eddie Jones situation where you got a, bun- a bunch of drunks, you know, screaming in your face. And you know, in, if, if Eddie Jones had turned around and manhandled one, then could you have blamed him? At this, uh, the, the, the real disappointment about this. And yeah, I, I like you, know, I, mean, I know Jamie pretty well, and it ain't a clever way to react in any circumstance. But in a circumstance where it's just a, a bit of stick being thrown at you through a car window then it's um yeah it's totally out of order isn't it i think it's disgusting i don't know jimmy Carragher, so maybe i can speak more freely than, no, no, than you it, and it, it is disgusting it's disgusting there is no there is no defense for it absolutely no, he doesn't put up any defense but by the same question i just wonder about you know this guy who thinks that he's got public ownership of, of somebody of other public figure like Jamie Carrier that thinks is that he thinks it's appropriate to go on, on a motorway to on drive the, alongside him and the, time and the, again. On the video, what we can see is the dad only says, "All right, Jamie, lad, two one lad, or something like." There's yeah. no insult. There's no. There's no banter. There's nothing, and Carragher just spits up through his window. I mean, that, who like who does that? Then the same Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football or on Sky is going to is going to tell me. And tell the players that he's watching how they should behave and what they should do, and oh, they're doing that. That's wrong. <laughs> no, but, you know, when these people are off the clock in their private lives, that's who they are. Yeah. Okay. Give and me I seriously wonder about a guy who's with his kid, who presumably isn't drunk because he's driving, who thinks that 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 this is that this is appropriate behavior to go and chase after somebody. I mean, he doesn't chase him. He's going home. He's in the car. It turns out that the car next to his could have been yours. It's Jamie Carragher's. They said to Jamie Carragher, oh, we beat you 2-1. It happened three or four times, though. Yeah, but that's what's going to happen. It's happening. It's, on the motorway. it's not like they stopped at a, a, at a traffic light, no, right? No, but it was this... I mean, this... I mean, this is where Jamie has got no... I mean, the fact is, it doesn't, you know, mean that you just get thick skin to it for forever. You know, people press your buttons at the wrong time. Sometimes we all react. But the fact is, Jamie, Jamie's had a career of you know, of, of so much worse than this. Exactly. You know, you, All the you, players. You, you just, yeah. it becomes, you know, you go out in Liverpool, you're going to bump into an Everton fan, he's going to say, hey, remember, you know, it's it's just, that that's, that's something you used to, and it's just that the surprise with this one is that it was so, whatever, you know, sticky's out as far as we can tell from the video, it, it seems so harmless. I mean, say, if he had walked into yeah. the wrong bar in Manchester and is getting pelters and families being mentioned, then I'm not saying that makes spitting right, but it puts it in a different context. This, the, the context of this is where it seems so shocking and I guess we're all 
say, those of us who actually like him are so disappointed. I mean, he's, I, I, I have actually written about this, so I, I, I don't think it's sort of gratuitous, but I, I once used it as illustration, actually, of praising him. He, on that trip to Malaysia, I mean, he was, um, this was when he was a teenager, England under-20s, and they were wild, that, that squad, and he was one of the, the wilders. This is Kieran Dyer featured this in his book recently, you know, when they, basically, they, as a squad, they all crapped in a, carrier bag and stuck it on the coach's door. I mean, Jamie actually peed uh, pretty much on my feet, urinating. I mean, it was, yeah, it was it was bad scenes. And I've spoken to him about it since, and he's mortified and looks back and just goes, God, what was I thinking? And, you know, had matured and, you know, he's a, made the best of himself, you know, done really well. Um, he's a bright guy. Um, he comes over well. You meet him. He's, he's an interesting guy to speak to. And that's where, you know, I'm sort of, as soon as I saw this, I was a bit gutted because he was a guy, I think, who had, you know, sort of made great strides in so many ways and um, has become a really sort of admirable figure. Now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every single game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. And not just that, you also get our, uh, what I think is exceptional content as well. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, Dicko, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? Uh, I think it had to be uh, Ashley Barnes, didn't it? I mean, one, just, you know, anyone who, the first time strike with curl on into the top corner, you're going to take. But if you if you can start a riot by scoring a goal, then, hey, hats off. <laughs> um, that's, that, that's pretty impressive. So yeah. it's got to okay. be that one for me. Julian? I went for Marcus Rashford's first goal. Um, because Bill drag back. Yeah, the chop, the chop. Because the first touch, actually, with his head, took the ball away from goal. It was already clear on goal because Trent Alexander-Arnold was on the wrong side of him. But then it, that took him away from him. And then I think the the intelligence for him to do that chop with his wrong foot as well, the left foot, and then to finish it the way he did at that pace, I think it's just wonderful. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't know Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I know somebody who does. And from what they tell me, he's going to watch this and he's going to learn this. I'm and sure. he's never going to do this ever. He's not going to be fooled ever again because he's got the pace, he's got the athleticism, exactly. he's got the intelligence to match up to Rashford. Also, just as a fan, how cool is it that we might get to see Rashford versus Trent Alexander-Arnold for like the next 10 years? All right, our debate this week, we're going to be talking uh, West Ham as we saw some scenes that... Um, I don't remember seeing in the Premier League era. But basically, uh, at the Olympic Stadium, we saw several pitch invasions. We saw a bunch of uh, supporters going and and haranguing uh, two of the owners, David Gold and and David Sullivan, or the two main owners, I guess. Both had to leave uh, the stadium for their own safety. We're joined by James Jones, who uh, is the uh, founder of the West Ham World website and who was there. James, before we get into sort of what happened, can you give us a little bit of background on what the situation is with with the supporters and what the feeling is, why some supporters seem to be so angry with Gold and Sullivan, while others, weirdly, seem to be uh, seem to be okay with them? Yeah, I mean, it, it all stems back from the decision to leave Upton Park, essentially. Um, I mean, it was a big decision to make. And when they put that forward to the fans, they were 
kind of selling selling us the dream a little bit. You know, they were going, we're going to move into this 50,000, 60,000-seat stadium. You know, it's going to be, you know, one of the best stadiums in Europe. We're going to start challenging for Europe. We're going to attract all these great players. And, you know, and then we had that really great final season at Upton Park where we were, we were very still very, very close to finishing the top four that season. So we were kind of sport, and then everyone on the back of all the promises that were made by the board um, and everything that was said in the media about us trying to sign Batchwine and Lacazette, everyone was really excited. And then we've moved to the stadium, we've left our spiritual home behind in Upton Park, and it's gone the complete opposite to what the, the owners had promised us. Not least the stadium isn't football ready. Um, it's an impressive stadium, but that it's not a football stadium. Did they pledge that they would? I mean, I, I imagine it's quite a complicated contract that they signed um yes. for the stadium was part of it was there was there a pledge on their part that or or maybe on the, the the stadium owner's part that they were going to redevelop the stadium to make it more football friendly well i think they were restricted in a sense that um i mean when they signed the contract they were told that um they'd get you know the football would take precedent over everything else but They've still said that, that there would be restrictions because they, the stadium owners still wanted to use it for concerts, athletics, um, and, and everything else in between. So, although they said, you know, it will predominantly be a football stadium, given that it's going to be used for other things as well, there were always going to be restrictions in that. Um, it was made clear very early on before they even signed the agreement, as far as I'm aware, that that was going to be the case. And it, it was never going to be purely West Ham's home and just, just used for football. Um, so although they said it's going to be this fantastic football stadium, um, the reality is that it was, ne- it was never going to be that way. Everything that you saw on Saturday was a build-up of just a load of broken promises going from the stadium move to investment in the playing squad um, and everything else in between. It's just Everything's just bubbled over um, and then culminated in, unfortunately, what you saw on, on, on Saturday. A part of me kind of feels like saying... It's Golden Sullivan and Karen Brady. What do you expect? What prompted you to believe these people, given their track record, given who they are? Um, I know a lot of fans didn't believe them. Um, but, you know, on the back of that really great... I mean, I know we'd, we'd agreed the move well, well before Slavon Bilic arrived and had that good season, but the general feeling amongst the club was good. You know, we were, we were looking up, we were ambitious, uh, we were doing our okay in the league. And everyone thought, you know, it's time the club tried to move forward and tried to maybe push that boundary, try and get into the top six consistently. Um, and the new stadium comes along and it's, you know, it looks like a great deal. And, you know, we, we, as, as I said, they've given us all these promises. You, you, you do buy into that as, as a football fan. You want to see the football club do, do better than it is, regardless of it's at the top or the bottom. So, although there was always scepticism, everyone was a little bit sceptical about how it would work and how long it would take to really, really happen. Um, I think a lot of fans really thought deep down that this was this was going to be a good move for us. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm struck by, and there was the piece and thing in the Independent last week that I read, but it seems that there's a split among the fans as well. Um, mm-hmm. It was quite an extraordinary story. There, there's one group of fans that there was supposed to be a march um, uh, ahead of this game, and this game, by the way, also coinciding with the. Uh, 25th anniversary of, of Bobby Moore's uh, passing, then the march was, was was called off. There's accusations between different groups. One group, which I thought was kind of extraordinary, is, is am I right? And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to slander anybody, run by former members of the inner city firm who are now all in their 50s. What's the deal there? Why is the fan base... Well, Fan base so fractured, fractured because we're not. I mean, we're used to seeing it on the continent. 
different fan groups sometimes arguing with each other. Certainly, Juliet at Paris Saint-Germain, you have yep. a whole history of that. Yep. But it's not something you normally see in England. Is that, a, is that a West Ham thing? or Can you tell us more about what's going on? It's never been that way, or at least never been this bad. The fans are split um, because one group of fans um, are absolutely not taking any, any of what's happening at the moment. They're really against the board. They've had enough. Um, they've left Upton Park. We're going backwards. Um, another group of fans are like, yeah, okay, that's bad, and the owners deserve a lot of criticism for that, but it's never going to happen overnight. Let's give them a little bit more time. And ultimately, what's, what happens there is you get two sets of fans clashing over different opinions, and unfortunately, it's got quite nasty. And you know, then you've got this march that was planned, um, which is fine. Every fan, all fans, have their right to protest and to march and to have their say, particularly in times like these. But the way it was planned and the way it was suddenly cancelled, and then everything that came out afterwards about the board, you know, potentially or allegedly paying off members of the intercity firm as a result. Um, it's further split the fans now because, you know, some fans are going, can't believe the pub did that, and other fans are going, well, I'm glad that happened because the ICF were involved. You, you, you know what I mean? So it's what's happening can, can now. Can you just, just sorry, for, for people who don't know, can you can you tell people what the ICF was or, or, or is? The, the hooligan group from, from the 80s, obviously when hooliganism was a big problem in, in, in English football, and they, they were the West Ham's group of, you know, they were the, the, the firm that, ran that side of West Ham's West Ham's hooligan culture the only way I can really put it and there's an allegation that the made by what other fans which which has been denied that there is a, there that, is an allegation that, that it was members of or previous members of the ICF that were um leading this march as part of um, a group called the real West Ham fans action group um, and they, they achieved their ultimate goal, which was to have a sit-down with Karen Brady and, and the co-owners the of the club to put their points across. Um, and then suddenly they just announced the cancellation of the march very, very quickly afterwards without informing the other fan groups that were involved in these discussions. And then it was alleged that the club had paid these guys off. Mm-hmm. And then these guys were, were accused of them threatening other people who still wanted to march and saying, you're not marching. And if you do, you're going to be in trouble sort of thing. Um, so it's all a bit of a mix, really. By the way, there's there's a video of this on YouTube. Uh, on, I think it's West Ham Fan TV. I don't know if if you've seen it, but it's this guy Mickey and this other yeah. guy Swallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really his name. Um, and they kind of give their side of of the story. I just want to be fair about this because it gets pretty serious when you accuse people of of, of taking money, and, and they strongly deny yeah, this. Yeah. I, in terms of the people who ran onto the pitch. I, I'm obviously not condoning pitch invasions or whatever, but if you have a point to make, sometimes as fans, people get squeezed, they get taken for granted. Was it obvious to you, and you were there, what the the, the, the two pitch invaders, the, the guy with, who took the corner flag and put in the middle of the pitch, and the first guy who, who was attacked by uh, by Noble, was it obvious to you what point they were trying to make? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was obvious to everyone. You know, they were unhappy with, with everything. Stop I the think. game? I mean, was that was that the idea? I don't. I don't think they wanted to stop the game. I just think they that that first goal that went in, the first goal that Burnley scored. I think that just triggered a lot of emotion and passion in, in, in these fans, and they just thought, you know, I can't I can't take this anymore. I'm getting on the pitch. I need to I need to make my point somehow. I wasn't allowed to march earlier today. Uh, I need to need to have my point. I need to do something. Um, obviously, running on the pitch had a detrimental effect. I'm, I mean, I, I stand by. 
my um, I, I said some comments on on Twitter after the game that you know those fans actually contributed to that scoreline in the end because you know it, it affected the players. Um, they didn't get behind the team at one. We had a chance to get back into that game, but essentially they had a they had an effect on that final scoreline, which made matters a lot worse. First goal is fifty six minute Ashley Barnes, and in the first half West Ham were by far the better side. So yes. who can think like? Considering a goal is outrageous, you know, I've had enough of this. The Lille fans have done something similar. They waited until the end and it was a draw. And they still had one on the pitch and it was, it was yeah. worse in a way because they attacked their own players and they kicked and punched their own players, which is even yeah. more stupid. But I, I just don't get... I, I can get the protest and you're not happy. But like you said, why, why would you do it then at that time when there's still a chance that you could win, turn things around because you were the better side and win the game? I absolutely agree with you with that. Um, and that's the point I've been trying to make to a lot of fans um, ever, since, uh, ever since the game finished, was that if you're going to p- pitch invade, do it after the game. Do it once the result's done. Um, there was no reason why we couldn't have got back into that game at one down. We've done it before at home this season. We've come from behind and won. We've come from behind and got a point against, against teams around us in the, in the league. So to go and do what they did at that time was completely, completely wrong. And, you know, the fans have as much to blame for that defeat as, as the players or the owners do as far as I'm concerned they, they did it completely the wrong way and we are, we are where we are now you know we've, we've lost 3-0 at home to Berlin we've got a huge game against Southampton coming up in a couple of weeks which makes it a lot worse Dicko um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in a minute. I want to get you on this as well James I, just to provide some historical context to it we've had Trevor Brooking and again younger listeners who may not know, in addition to being a very nice man and, and a West Ham and an England legend, Trevor Brooking is a uh, director at, at the club. I think he's one of those people who everybody seems to like. Nobody I, I've ever met has had anything negative to say about him. He's come out and he said that, you know, maybe fans shouldn't come to the game if they're going to if they're going to behave like this or not get behind the club. I can see where he's coming from. I think he obviously loves the club as much as anybody else alive. I'm just wondering, Dicko, is, and, and you know to Trevor probably better than any of us, is he kind of stuck here? Because should he maybe be taking a more active role in distancing himself from, from these owners? Um, uh, is he somehow being used by them? Well, Because I, 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 I can't I, help I, but feel that if they stay up, if they stay up, it's going to be, you know, same poop, different year next year. Do you know what I mean? He's in a difficult position, as, as was I mean, I heard David Moyes on the radio after the game, and he's sort of squirming, but, you know, understandably, he's, he's asked about it, and he's got to talk about it, but squirming, because obviously desperately caught between, you know, uh, I'm sure he's got his own frustrations with the owners who wouldn't. Um, I've, I've wrote a column not, when he took, took the job. Everyone was sort of hammering Moyes for, you know, is he a good enough appointment? Well, I was saying, well, yeah, but, but a, a lot of the questions should be going at the owners who are can be a nightmare to work for. I mean, I, you know, I wrote that I don't think Slavin Bilic suddenly became a bad manager. I just think he became a worn-down manager because that club, there are so many uh, agendas that work there. It's, it's, it's a really hard place to work. It's made doubly hard, obviously, by the stadium. Uh, it's made worse by you know, all the, the fan antipathy, some of which I understand, some of which I think is over the top. And I mean, the whole thing, you know, and we can trace this back to the beginnings of the stadium and the colossal... A mess that was made by um, the blessed Lord Coe and Boris Johnson, you know, who um, you know, made an absolute pig's, uh, or sorry, Ken Livingstone, and then Boris Johnson made it worse, but just a pig's ear of it. So, I mean, there are so many strands that come into just one awful situation, and 
but you know, back to your, back to your question. Um, I, I think it's. I think I think saying fans should stay away is. is I mean, ultimately, if fans want to go and support. You know, go and watch their team. They should. You know, it's, it's wrong to tell them to stay away. I do understand saying, look, we're in a mess here. We're in danger of going down, and invading the pitch is is only going to make that worse. I mean, clearly, as we say, they're, they're if their heads. You know, if they weren't already um, suffering confidence issues, it's going to get um, a heck of a lot worse when you go one down, down, the game gets disrupted like that, and you, you're trying to wonder whether you're going to start a riot soon. So it, it's clearly, it clearly had an effect on, on confidence, which, which is shot to bits already. So it's, um, yeah, they're in a fraught situation. And I think it's fair enough to say, look, you know, if you're going to come to the next game, you know, please, please don't threaten to riot. James, can you... I'm going to get your take on this and tell me, what's your best case scenario now? Do you see a pathway out of this situation? And and please say something other than simply redesigning the club crest and getting the word London out, which seems to be a real sticking point with some people. No, definitely not. Um, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I think what has to happen now, I mean, the relationship between the board and the fans, you can't fix it. it it's gone. Um, I think the owners now um, have to take a step back maybe seek investment and I understand as part of the deal they can't sell the stadium um, until a certain year in terms of the amount of profit they can take from it as part of the tenancy agreement so they're not going to sell up anytime soon but they can take a step back and then seek in, uh, investment into the club and let someone else take the day-to-day running of the club um, because it's clear that what they're doing rightly or wrongly or whether it's intentional or I'm sure it isn't intentional but it, it's going wrong somewhere um, and I think the fa- that's what the fans want the fans want change at board level um, and they believe that having change at board level will eventually improve things on the pitch and at the stadium and everything else will fall into place. I have a good friend who's a big West Ham fan and he prays, okay, I have two good friends who are big West Ham fans and uh, they're, they're praying for a Ray Winston, Paolo Di Canio led consortium. <laughs> but the problem is they're not rich enough. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. Now, Arsenal, look, they're on the up again. They beat AC Milan in the Europa League, and they beat Watford. Now, our colleague, Henry Winter, not so impressed. 
He points out the empty seats at the Emirates Stadium, and he calls it a play without a plot, um, which sounds sort of um, very postmodern. Dicko, is this is this what it is at this stage? Kind of like a bunch of meaningless games where they go and beat up other mid-table sides? Or is, he, or is Henry being a little too negative? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I think that's 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 where they're at, isn't it? I mean, they've they've obviously got the European uh, campaign. It's, it's, it's just, we're in, we're in classic Arsenal, mode, don't we? It, it doesn't get quite bad enough that sort of, well, they do a West Ham and run on the pitch and plant corner flags in the middle and riot and throw coins in people's faces. But then it's... Um, there's it's no it's, there it's never throw. good enough. It's but, not, you know, at the yeah. same... Dicko, whose face? <laughs> he, he's not there. Well, exactly. <laughs> You're going to have to throw him a long way to Denver exactly. or somewhere. Classic Arsenal, we're stuck. We're stuck. It's sort of never quite awful enough that you sort of think, oh, well, it's, you know, suddenly suddenly they've got a sniff of, thinking they've got a sniff of a, a European trophy. So is that, I mean, that, that would be that would be Classic Arsenal, wouldn't it? It would be sort of stuck in the agonies of, of, of sort of Wenger, Doing enough certainly to convince himself that he's he's still got it, um, while while half the fan base go crackers. So I I, I suspect we're going to get um, more of this. You know, Arsenal suddenly producing a performance and people going, "Ooh, Aubameyang! He's suddenly looking like a player." And Mkhitaryan, and maybe there is a sniff of hope. And then obviously the next week they'll go to someone terrible and and lose, looking like they don't care. We've been here before, haven't we? <laughs> we have, uh, Julian. About the Europa League campaign now. Some people look at it and say, all right, so you'll be AC Milan away, big deal. You're the sixth best team in the Premier League, and you go and you win away against the seventh, seventh best team and or se- the team of the seventh most points. It's a bit yeah. unfair because Milan were on an incredible run, and Arsenal were coming from off of four straight defeats, right? So this is actually good. I mean, they, despite the negativity, you still got to go play the games. Ozil looked good. Mkhitaryan looked good. Mustafi even scored before he got hurt, and he looked okay, right? Yeah, no. I and then, and they also left out a bunch of guys, right? Who maybe ahead of the with with a view towards third third. I mean, Monreal, from what we hear, is, is fit, right? Koscielny wasn't there, Ramsey wasn't there, Wilshire yeah. wasn't there. No, I think I think maybe good is too strong because of how bad things were. But it's better, it's better. And I think if you're an Arsenal fan right now, you should take that. You should you should take that. I thought they could have easily won. 6-1 yesterday, you know, because there's that penalty by Troy Dini that so Watford could have scored once, maybe twice, but Arsenal had many chances. Aubameyang could have had a hat-trick easily. You see some movement. You see players sort of learning to play with each other. When you, like Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, obviously you see that they've got good rest from before, but Ozil and Mkhitaryan, which it was not a given that they could play well at the same time together considering that, you know, they've got in many ways, similar profile. So I, th- I think there was there's some there's some good things there. Maitland Nice at right back, I thought look you know looked really good. So there's 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 positive, but because you started solo before the Milan game, it's hard. But they've got Stoke at home, Southampton at home in the next two games, and then they go away to Newcastle, which obviously historically they've had a few nightmares there. They can easily get nine points in the nine, so that would be four Premier League wins in a row. It looks a bit better, but. Obviously, it's too late uh, for them, as they often do in the league, where they they get those very good runs late in the season, and and it's you know it's too little, too late. But at least when there's a bit of positive, I think fans and and people around the club should take it. Dick, a word on Watford because it's another season, another managerial change, but they're tenth in the table, and this despite 
you know, having a, a, a run of injuries as well. Um, this is good, right? Did, did you see their baby steps forward? Well, 10th is, 10th is certainly good. And it's, uh, I guess, you know, Vindicate, we've, we, we sort of get hung up on managerial stability, don't we? And sort of it is seen as a good thing that you must. And, and Watford are one of those clubs that challenge that notion, challenge the idea that um, you can't just recite, you know, you, you, you either you know, cut your losses when you think you've you've got someone who's not quite right or with other managers they basically just said, Look, we you know, they've done well, they've just said we're not gonna pay you uh what you think you uh deserve or, or you or give you the control, um, maybe more importantly that that you want. Or in this uh, case have a manager who signs a contract and then decides in October, Ooh, I quite fancy going to Everton. Well, ab- 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 absolutely. And they've they've felt and I, I think um with understandably given the slump they went on that um the silver had taken his eye off off the ball, and and that he, you know, having agitated to move, and there was certainly discussion about whether certain players were already sort of dreaming of of wearing blue, and that they were going to follow him, and there was enough had gone wrong under him that that they had to make a, a chop, and they, I mean, they're in terms of recruitment, I mean, they haven't got it perfect every time, have they? But they they seem to be in position now. It's 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 not, you know, you suspect that sooner or later they're going to make a. A, a, a false one, and if they don't react fast enough, it's you know it's, it's a high wire act. But they're um, they're pulling it off they're extremely well. And they're even signing all those English players so that they can have an English spine too, right? Which is so important. Will Hughes will come good, right? Uh, I like Will Hughes. Are you having a go at Will Hughes? <laughs> no, I'm not. Obviously, he's had injuries and stuff. It was just funny. I remember how sort of when he came up, everybody was so excited, and I I I, I genuinely actually hope he has a good run of fitness so that we can find out whether whether he can play uh, as well. I agree, because he's sort of always had a slightly sort of um, English sort of style to him as well, sort of cheeky little touch player. So, yes, let's hope so. Yeah, that's what I think of when I think of English football, right? Don't you? Uh, cheeky little touches, Julian? Yeah, of course, yeah. That's what I mean. He's, uh, Julian's, <laughs> played, Julian's played with the English press team. He knows there's never been a cheeky little touch from an English... Um, no, especially English not you, Dico. They're still looking for that ball, Dico, at Wembley that you send on the uh, Rao... S or T it was, I think. I was aiming for row X. Yeah. Didn't quite make it. <laughs> All right. Enough of you guys reminiscing about your uh, past footballing achievements. How about some quick hits instead? Chelsea dispatched Palace 2-1, but Olivier Giroud and Alvaro Morata waste several opportunities. Dicko, should this be a cause for concern? Or does it not matter because the single most difficult thing you can do is creating chances and finishing is something that's down to happenstance and probability? I think everything is a cause for concern when you're about to play uh, Barcelona, isn't it? Um, I, you know, it's been part of uh, the, the Chelsea problem this season. One, one of many Morata's um, at times looked class, looked like someone who is going to, um, you know, be their, 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 well, they're not their new cost, a different type of player, but be, be someone who's going to be leading their line very effectively for years. Other times, yeah, absolutely, he's, he's lost this sort of confidence his way. So, I, I mean, going in against Barcelona, you ain't going to get many chances. You're going to have to take them. Harry Kane goes down injured, but Hongwen Son moves up front as Spurs come from behind to pummel Bournemouth 4-1. Julian, we don't know the extent of Kane's injury. Would you like to do the irresponsible media thing of wildly speculating on how damaging it might be? bearing in mind that they travel to Stamford Bridge to play Chelsea on April Fool's Day, and that will probably uh, tell us a lot about whether they finish top four. 
Yes, uh, it looked like a sprained ankle for, for Harry Kane. Quite a bad one as well. It's a bit like the Neymar one for PSG a few weeks ago. It depends if the ligaments uh, are damaged or not, but you could also have problems with your metatest. But basically, if it's a grade one, grade one sprained ankle, is two to four weeks. So he could be back. Look like he would miss the Chelsea game. But grade two is six to eight weeks. You know that's a bit more serious, and then grade three, where the ligament could be ter- could be damaged, uh, maybe like we said, a, a small fracture is twelve to twenty four weeks. The World Cup, by the way, is in thirteen weeks, and and now you're scaring people. No, no, I'm just saying. World Cup. And after Chelsea, Spurs play Stoke away, okay, but then play Man City as well. So it looked like it could be missing some huge games, obviously. Yeah, but but if also, they avoid the Vida Chelsea, then they're in the top four, yeah. basically, right? So yeah, but right. still, it's it's. Stressing time for Spurs fans. Thank you, Dr. Julian Lawrence. Pleasure. Swansea go down to 10 men after 10 minutes and somehow turn in a heroic performance to escape with a draw against a, a Huddersfield side that has 80% possession. Dicchio, are you impressed again with the mighty Carlos Carvajal? Or are you a little bit sad and will point out that he didn't manage a single shot all game long? Uh, I think in a circumstance, you have to be impressed, don't you? I think the Carvajal appointment's great. I think it's a great story. He's been... Um well, effective, most importantly, um, as well as... Jolly too, right? He's well, always no. happy. He's always jolly and happy. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, you, you take over a team, was there, but they were bottom of the league, wasn't they, when they took over? They've barely lost since. They've, um, and, you know, needs must. And, you know, you see him dance around the pitch at the end, quite rightly. He's, 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 they're fighting for survival. They look like they're going to get it. And um, he deserves his bonus that's coming, I suspect. I suspect Carlos Carvajal may uh, soon be named the official 2017-18 manager of the game podcast. <laughs> Everton defeat Brighton 2-0 and turn into more than credible performance. Julian, does this mean Big Sam has them back on track or is it that Brighton were still giddy by last week's exploits? Brighton, two wins away from home this season in the league. In 15, they've scored seven, I think, in those 15 games. It's hardly... It's, it's hardly a, a big turning point. I've got no time for Sam Allardyce. I think Everton deserves a better manager. And he said after the game that he was going to chill and watch Anton Deck on Saturday night where he could watch all the shows from Anton Deck back to back instead of uh, being an Everton manager. I think that'd be better. Wow, you really don't like Big I Sam, don't have time do you? I not for him at all. I just, I just don't know what he's doing there. Newcastle beat up Southampton in what we thought was a relegation six-pointer. Dicko, there seems to be little love for big Mauricio Pellegrino, and you can either reflect on that and why nobody seems to like this guy, even though he's generally quite polite, Um, or you can go out and praise Rafa and the Rafa-lution, as we seem to do every single week on this podcast. Well, given I spent Saturday with a Southampton fan who was sort of started miserable and by the end was pretty much suicidal, um, I'll speak about it. I mean, he, he said that he thought the Puel regime was one that he sort of you know, dis- disliked. He said he's, this is new depths. He thinks, yeah, the, 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 the lack of... I mean, most of the players he thinks are just given up. He thinks most of them think they're just going to get a move away. They don't give a stuff, and he's convinced they're going to go down. And um, given that he's normally an optimistic, sort of happy kind of guy, that tells you all you need to know. Leicester City win 4-1 at West Bromwich Albion, and Alan Pardew says he just wants to see his men show some pride. Uh, Julian, Pards has won seven of his last 54 Premier League games as manager. Why does he still have a job when everyone around him has been sacked? And as a special bonus question, if Unai Emery leaves Paris Saint-Germain and there were only two possible managers you could appoint, (laughs) would it be Pards or would it be Big Sam? Oh my God, 
I would have the players taking own charge of, of, no, of the dressing room. No, it would be Big Sam. I would have Sam. no managers. I would have you'd, no managers. You'd, you'd pick Big Sam over Pardew, wouldn't you? Maybe if I'm forced to. Pardew, I mean, the only reason why he's still in this job is because Nick Hammond, who is the technical director, West Brom is his best mate. That's why he was appointed in the first place, where he should have never been getting close to the job and to that club. I think he's a disaster. He's a disaster manager. He's a disastrous reign at West Brom as well. And it's, it's too late now. Whatever they do, they just need to work for next season already in the championship, get a manager in the summer that can get them out of the championship and rebuild uh, through the club because it's just been a nightmare season. And they didn't help themselves by appointing Pardew. Gab, one for you. What's this story about the Park owner storming the pitch with a gun in Greece last night? Yeah, so Pauk were playing AEK Athens. The gentleman's name is Savidis, I think. Um, I, I only saw this over the internet. I don't have any specific uh, knowledge of it. There's a goal that is apparently disallowed, although there's been some dispute about whether it actually has been disallowed. You can probably check for yourself whether that actually happened. It's important because AEK, um, obviously in the running for the, for, for the Greek title, he runs onto the pitch to remonstrate with a referee, and it's a little bit like um, like the Kuwaiti guy at the 1982 World Cup, if you're old enough to remember. There's a big to-do and arguing. But the creepy thing is, is that you look at the footage, and the guy has a holster with a handgun in it, okay? there's a, Let me just reiterate this. There's an owner running onto the pitch to yell at the referee, uh, report suggests uh, coming from the AK manager saying that he told the referee that you know referee's a dead man, a man with a gun, a real gun apparently. Um, I don't know what we've come to. I mean, you know, relative to to what happened to Leo, I'm assuming nobody was was packing heat at the time. But this is just just extraordinary irresponsibility. Um, whatever your thoughts are on gun ownership and open carry, I think you would presumably agree that this is not responsible use of or responsible ownership of a firearm. It's funny because I, I tweeted this last night and it was late night and so got a lot of responses from people in the US, uh, including some gun owners who were pointing out that he was, uh, he had strapped his holster in a very bizarre way because <laughs> it, the gun seemed to be backwards and if he was going to uh, to reach with his, if he was left-handed, he was going to reach across, it was too far back and right-handed, he would have been... But all this is funny to a point. It's also freaking nonsense. You do not go on to... You, you, you really shouldn't... I mean, unless you're in law enforcement, there's an argument to be made that you probably should not carry a firearm to a football match. And if you do, you certainly shouldn't run onto the pitch with it. The logical solution here, of course, is uh, not to take his gun away, but to uh, arm the players and the referees, obviously. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tips service. I'm Charlie Scott, and I'm here with Paddy Bombert. Hello. And yeah, it was uh, a weekend where lesser valued players shone. I mean, Kennedy for Newcastle was superb. He picked up 16 points with two goals and an assist in Darwin. At the top of the point scoring table, there was a bit of uh, there were some worries, aren't there, Paddy? Yeah, well, it's always difficult when Harry Kane hobbles off after um, well, less than half an hour and uh, Sergio Aguero is, uh, well, not expected to feature tonight for Man City either. Exactly. That's but, immediately a couple of big players taken out. But there is the silver lining of the international break coming up and City and Spurs aren't playing game week 31, so our advice is 
and you put them on the bench, there's no point transferring them out before you know, particularly with Kane, the extent of that injury, there's a high chance that they'll both be back for game week 32, isn't there? And if they're not, Pierre-Emerick or Bamiyang showed what he can do against uh, against Watford, um, scored the goal and set one up for Arsenal. Uh, he's in that price bracket. Arsenal, of course, don't have a game this week, but their fixtures look pretty tasty afterwards. And uh, Mr Mkhitaryan uh, looks to be back in a bit of form as well, so that might be the way to look after the break. What else impressed you over the weekend? Well, Leicester were very good again, Mares and Vardy, uh, and uh, the Burnley strike force, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, both in the goals. Absolutely, and Ashley Barnes was one of the few sweeper tips that actually did anything good this weekend. I'd like to apologise for those of you that have been reading for the past month or so. I've been banging the drum for Aaron Ramsey. I mean, just give up. I think he's just going to play in the Europa League, so uh, I wouldn't buy him. I did. So game week 31 is next. Uh, We've been looking forward to this for a few weeks. Only eight teams in action. Uh, We'll have plenty of advice in Friday's email about which teams and which players are worth taking points hits for and which are just best to leave alone. Play it sensible there. Of course, um, if you're like me and you brought in Gilfie Sigurdsson this week, only for him to get a season-ending injury. Uh, while Everton have a game, then you'll be pretty upset, but hopefully uh, hopefully you didn't do that. Um, and we'll also be revealing our competition winner, uh, our latest competition, which has a free 12-month subscription to The Times as the prize. That's all in Friday's email as well. Uh, to sign up for the email, just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. And uh, what about our Facebook group, Charlie? Our Facebook group, yeah, that was set up a few weeks ago and it's quite busy on there. You can search for it on Facebook by just searching for The Sweeper and you should be able to find it and yeah we're encouraging people to chuck in their lineups and any questions they have about transfers and we'll get back to you as soon as possible on that that's all we've got time for today many many thanks to my excellent guests matt dickinson and julian lawrence how about you subscribe to our newspaper it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial just search the times online you don't just get the times you get the sunday times as well and this season you can access highlights of every single game in the premier league the champions league the europa league track arsenal's progress as they try to get into the champions league through a different entryway like united did last year and also of course the fa cup and who doesn't love the magic of the cup we're going to be back next monday after the fa cup quarterfinals our excellent producer charlie jones writes this and you know you want to highlight the most exciting fa cup quarterfinal draw that's what you generally do it is kind of funny how everybody was sort of kept separate on this one so yes i suppose leicester city against chelsea is the pick of the fa cup quarterfinals till next week bye bye the game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk. Thank you.